0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Women Blazers. I'm your host, Deanna Witter. Today, I am excited to welcome Jennifer Martindale as our featured guest for this episode. Jen serves as the Senior Vice President of Marketing for the Chicago Cubs. Jen built the ultimate career toolbox with 14 foundational years in advertising, where she drove brand strategy and led award-winning campaigns for notable brands, gained strategic business skills in the nonprofit sector, and added entrepreneurial experience in the restaurant industry. She took her toolbox and brought it here to the sports industry, where she now has been able to grow historical brands for the next generation.
1: The thing that I just encourage people to do is when you are considering a new job opportunity, set aside the organization, the title, the income, those things are important and they will certainly be negotiated as you move through the process. But really think about, can you, can you envision the impact that your particular toolbox of skills is gonna let you have on this organization? Do you see the space in which you are going to be able to come in and make a difference?
0: All right, Jen, let's start out with the foundation of your education. You went to Michigan State University. Go blue. Sorry. And received a BA in communications. You know, how did you make your college selection? And what was the vision of your career as you entered college?
1: Well, like you, I'm a Michigander. <laughs> um, I grew up in a wonderful small town in Northwest Michigan, right on the shores of Lake Michigan. Um, but I knew that I wanted to go to a large school as sort of a counterbalance to my um, experience growing up, which is a very small town, very small student body in high school. Um, so I actively sought out going to a larger university. But candidly, I also wasn't a 4.0 student by any definition. And so I knew that I was probably going to a state school. Um, and so that's how I found my way to Michigan State. And I didn't have a vision when I left for college, and it really took me a lot of time at Michigan state to to find my path, I was a really curious student, mm-hmm. and I was really excited to try out lots of different things. And as a result, I think I actually changed my major five or six times.
0: <laughs> so what did it start out as?
1: I started out as pre-law, okay? Yeah,
0: right. did you lawyer? was there agent? Like what was the thought with the pre-law doing?
1: I had been watching a lot of TV and I think I thought I wanted to be like a professional speech writer, mm. like for politics, but I thought that maybe being pre-law would be a good place to start for that. And that lasted, I think, you know, a semester and a half. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, change your, you change your major every, you know, five times and you definitely were changing it every other semester then, right?
1: Yes, and I also, I did what I called my victory lap, where I did a fifth year at the university. So I I had the luxury of uh,
0: spending a little more time there. Well, it's a good place to spend some extra time. I've been on campus.
1: (laughs) Most definitely.
0: (laughs) After you graduated, you launched your career uh, with a marketing agency, McCann World Group, um, as an account coordinator. So share with us how then you navigate into this first career opportunity, and what did you learn about yourself in that first year?
1: Well, I had been fortunate enough to um, do a paid internship my fourth year at Michigan State University at, a, um, at an advertising agency in the Detroit area, and it was there that I really fell in love with the idea of working in consumer advertising. Um, like I said, I was privileged enough that A, they paid me, B, I had family members that I could live with while I did my internship. So I was able to do that. And then when I was getting ready to graduate, I did, you know, the old send out the resume to every single advertising agency in a, you know, 200 mile radius and just cross your fingers and toes that someone picks you out of the pile and decides to give you a call. Um, And I got really blessed that I ended up getting placed at um, McCann. Now, the first job out of college for me was really just about learning how to be a functioning professional, show Mm -hmm. up on time, do the work that's put in front of you, earn the trust of your colleagues, um, and and importantly, you know, admit when you screw up. Mm -hmm. Um, I really learned the importance of following through on your word because there were real world implications if you didn't follow through on what you were supposed to do. You know, back in the early 2000s, if you didn't ship a television commercial to the TV network by a certain date, it wouldn't air. Like it literally wouldn't air for like another week and you'd have very angry clients. Um, I also learned the importance of problem solving. I think the best advice I got from an early boss, which I still use today, is you're going to encounter problems in your job. And when you do, I want you to think about three potential solutions to that problem before you come to me to talk about it. You might not get it right. You know, I may send you in a different direction, but it improves your critical thinking skills and it helps us have a more productive conversation about how to move forward. So don't just lay the problem at my feet without any forethought. Think about potential solutions and then let's have a conversation. Um, And I still use that today.
0: No, that's great advice. I mean, it's a really good point, especially early on in your career, when you do mm-hmm. encounter problems and challenges, and you're still learning, you're still growing. And to have a leader who gives you sort of this, this nugget, this gem to realize like, I can also even though I can create problems, I also can find solutions. <laughs> um, and what a gift you were given in that moment. And also, just to your point about you know, if you didn't turn something in on time, you missed it. And then the client would be upset. It reminds me a lot of you know sort of our jobs and sports, and you know that game's gonna happen on this day. Yes. And so if you miss this, <laughs> you're you're in trouble. you missed it. You can't get that day back. You don't get that game back, right? So that's up That's right. into the next thing. <laughs> so laid laid the foundation to where you are today, for sure. Now, in total, you invested you know, 12 and a half years working up the ladder across different marketing agencies with um, with the share of your experiences at Leo Burnett. So what were the highlights of your experience during this time in your career? And what were some of those key takeaways from the experience growing from account executive to a vice president at Leo Burnett?
1: Well, working at Leo Burnett, which is a large global um, advertising agency whose whose global headquarters are here in Chicago, working there is like receiving your master's degree in consumer marketing and advertising. And in transparency, I did not get my MBA, (laughs) but I feel like my time at Leo Burnett really was the working equivalent of that. I got to learn from and work with some of the most brilliant creative minds and strategic thinkers in the country, if not in the world. And I got to work on many different business verticals because Leo Burnett was really good about rotating you within the organization, you know, every few years if you wanted to so that you would get exposed to lots of different types of businesses. So for a few years, you might be working on a massive, you know, multinational Fortune 500 brand. And a couple of years later, they might put you on a small founder-led startup that is, you know, just launching itself out into the world, they might put you on a consumer packaged good, they might put you on something that's, you know, experiential, they might put you on something that is, um, you know, tech related. And Mm -hmm. so something that was wonderful there was that, you know, very early on in my career, I got to listen and be in the room and learn about a lot of different types of businesses. And so little did I know, but I was kind of building this little box of skills that I'm using now today while I'm in sports, even though I didn't touch sports at all in my time at Leo Burnett.
0: Mm, mm. Well, yeah, it sounds like an incredible takeaways and experience. And to your point, I mean, this is like getting your PhD, master's, you know, in this industry um, through this experience. And so, you know, when I think about Leo Burnett, I, I think about you like walk around this space where you're like living in Mad Men, Like
1: a Mad Men episode. Well, there were, you know, when I got there, it was kind of, you know, the Mad Men heyday was over. But I would say this was an industry at a major inflection point where it was really trying to figure out how did it grow to be more reflective of um, cultural and social norms that were evolving in the country. And so I think, you know, it was most definitely a professional environment, but probably a little bit looser (laughs) than someone who was working at like a consultancy or an accounting firm.
0: 2014, you were named the chief marketing officer of the YBCA, which is one of the San Francisco's most iconic art institutions. You know, what inspired this move in your career? How did you come to the conclusion it was the right move for you at that time in your life?
1: Mm -hmm. So this is where, you know, work and family start to intersect for me. So Mm -hmm. I had been um, living in Chicago, I was um, five months pregnant with my first and only child. Mm -hmm. And my husband was offered an opportunity, um, a professional opportunity that was going to take us to the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, so we moved across the country while I was pregnant, (laughs) I was, you know, working, you know, remotely um, for clients in Chicago. And once we got settled in there, I, um, you know, had a child. And once I had that child, I really started reflecting on how I wanted to spend my time and my days. And as much as I loved working in advertising, I really felt like there was an opportunity for me to take what I had learned in the corporate world and use it um, in service through you know, a nonprofit organization. Yeah. And so I just really felt a calling to take a step back and to work in the nonprofit sector. And uh, when my daughter was, I think 10 weeks old and I was on leave, I had received a call from a recruiter who um, I'm not even sure how they found me, to be honest. I'll have to go back <laughs> in my notes and see if I can find that. But they saw that i had recently moved to San Francisco. They saw that I had a lot of experience working with large brands on brand strategy and activation. And they said, we have this really interesting nonprofit opportunity. Would you be willing to talk to us about it? And it was like I had manifested it. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so I went to work for, um, Deborah Cullinan, who at the time was the CEO of Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. She's now, now gone on to be the vice president of the arts at Stanford University, but she was the, um, leader at Yerba Buena Center for the Arts at the time. They were going through a lot of transition. This is an organization that had been opened in the mid nineties. And so they were kind of reaching their adolescence as a brand and trying to figure out what they wanted to be when they grew up. <laughs> and I was really honored to to help you know shepherd them through that.
0: Yeah, I mean, what a what an incredible opportunity at a time in your life where you're making this massive transition into motherhood. Um, to your point, maybe you had been manifesting it this whole time. Um, and I love you know something that you mentioned that gets brought up a lot in this on this podcast is you get a call from a recruiter and you're like, just take the call. You just you know you never That's know. Right what it's going to be, you know, and um, where your interest might, in curiosities might lead you um, to a new and exciting opportunity that's fulfilling.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up, Dee, because that's something I say to particularly younger people all the time is take every meeting. Yes. Take every call. You You never know. And if it's not right for you right now, it might be a connection you'll come back to later, or you might be able to help someone else out. You might know someone who it would be a great fit for and make a new connection.
0: Absolutely. I, I think that's, that's such a good point, And thank you for emphasizing that. And um, tell us a little bit more about the work that you did. I mean, you're in a C mm-hmm. level position now, imagine mm-hmm. that then took on some additional leadership abilities or opportunities that you, you probably, or you know, maybe didn't have at Leo Burnett, share with us mm-hmm. a little bit more about the, the role itself and some of the experiences mm-hmm. that you had.
1: Sure. Well, this was the first time t- to your point about it being a C level position. This was the first time where I had a real, view of how an entire organization worked cross-functionally so this was my first real exposure to understanding the impact that i could have not just as a marketing leader but thinking about the ybca brand Mm -hmm. and how that could be used to kind of create new you know possibilities frankly for the organization and so i was working really closely with our development team to look for you know new potential corporate sponsors or major donors. I was working closely with guest services to figure out what is the experience that we want people to have when they walk through our doors or otherwise engage with us out in the community. Mm-hmm. I was working closely with curators to figure out how do we frame up and explain the wonderful work they're doing to the community to get them to come, up, come and spend time with us. I was working with our membership team to think about <laughs> whether different products and services we should offer that would entice people to want to join our membership community and so it was really the first time where I had my hands in a lot of different things versus just thinking purely about external communication mm-hmm. um, and so yeah so that was a really fruitful you know fulfilling time for me in my career
0: yeah it sounds like it and you know you take that incredible experience that weight of the experience that you had you take it into a new position so in 2018 you make a move down to New Orleans to join Mm -hmm. the Clipper restaurant group as their head of brand Mm -hmm. marketing. So what motivated this next move in your career? Was this another career, like family?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so again, bringing back like this whole idea of like, you know, work life integration, as much as my husband and I love living in San Francisco, you know, we had a small child who at this point was, you know, a toddler and it just became untenable for us to live in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Many people have made it work. And I'm always so jealous and proud of the folks that can. I think for us, we had a lot of housing insecurity. The market was really challenging. Mm -hmm. Our commutes were not um, good for us (laughs) mentally, frankly, in terms of how much time we were spending in the car every day. And so we, we made a conscious choice to leave San Francisco and go to New Orleans. It was a city we really loved. Um, we really felt that it was kind of the best of what San Francisco used to be in terms of a city with a real soul and a really clearly defined culture, a very diverse city. Um, and we just felt kind of called to go there. And so we went to New Orleans and I was lucky enough to meet a woman named Jennifer Weisopt. Jennifer and her husband Eric had um, been living in New Orleans since they'd graduated college, so they'd been there for you know 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. And after Hurricane Katrina had devastated the city, they had, frankly, kind of on a whim, opened a neighborhood you know kind of coffee shop, you know, uh, bakery, in their old neighborhood to try to lure people back to their neighborhood because mm-hmm. after the storm there was nothing there like right, it was right. complete the, the entire neighborhood had been underwater it had been devastated so a few months later they were like what if we just opened a coffee shop on the corner to try to sh- prove to our neighbors that this neighborhood is going to come back to life someday mm-hmm. and these were two peoples who had been engineers they had never <laughs> run, run a restaurant <laughs> they just had an idea mm-hmm. and sure enough this little you know coffee shop that could had slowly expanded over the previous you know decade to grow from this one little shop on the corner to frankly like a mini chain where i think when i joined the organization they had seven storefronts in the greater new orleans area focusing on breakfast and brunch and when i came on board They were in a period of rapid expansion across the Southeast in the United States, and they had never had a marketing leader before. And they, I think, rightfully said, this is a moment in time where we are a little out of our depth in this particular area. And these are both really brilliant people, but they were like, we're not marketers. Um, We know the culture of this company. We understand the business, and we need someone to help make sure that as this brand expands across the Southeast that we are doing it thoughtfully and smartly and, you know, maximizing the business. And so I was brought on by Jen to work closely with her and her leadership team to help basically like open new stores, <laughs> open funny. new restaurants across the Southeast. Um, and it was a really fun job. I'd never done multi-unit restaurants before. I had had the opportunity to work with a multi-unit retail client when I was at Leo Burnett. So I understood, you know, philosophically, the idea of opening up new locations, driving same store sales, things like that. Where I had a brief understanding of, but this was really get your hands dirty. Like we're getting in there and, and going into a new city. People don't know who we are. It's highly competitive. How are we going to get people to want to come and dine with us? So it was yeah. it was a really fantastic experience.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it, and especially when you think about the mission of their why, you know, in the very beginning, mm-hmm. and to be connected with that. And how do you sort of take that, grow it into these new markets that you're you're responsible for opening? And the again, the experience that you gain in this, using some of the experiences you have, obviously from your past, but also gaining this new experience um, in a new industry.
1: Um, mm-hmm. You know,
0: it sounds like it, it was very impactful to your career journey and your experiences for sure.
1: Wonder It was wonderful. and I think it also just um, adds to the the luck I've had of working for really strong, smart people. Yeah. And I know that not has that um, advantage through their career, but I, I just have been really blessed, you know, nine times out of ten to work for <laughs> really intelligent, empathetic, cool people. So that, that was definitely a ruby slipper.
0: Yes, for sure. And then, I mean, I think another thing too, when you, when you, you know, from that point, it's like great people attract great people, you know? And I think that there's Mm -hmm. something to that. And so you got to put yourself out there in a way where you can find those great leaders and those people that you're meant to work with and, and uh, you know, sort of build with. Now um, while in New Orleans, you get your sports break and opportunity with the (laughs) New Orleans Pelicans and the New Orleans Saints in 2019, when you were named the VP of brand strategy. So, how did you break into sports? You gotta tell us the story. And what did you most enjoy about the opportunity of transitioning into this into this crazy sports industry?
1: So, as as your listeners can tell from our conversation, I did not have a traditional kind of linear path that led me into sports. I've worked in a lot of different industries, touched a lot of different types of businesses, none of them really sports adjacent at any point and so moving into sports was not something I was actively looking to do or frankly was even on my radar as (laughs) an opportunity Um, but that said um, I was living in New Orleans I was working for the Ruby Slipper restaurant group and I received a a cold call from a recruiter who worked for the NBA and I will never forget (laughs) that when they called me I said I think you have called the wrong person (laughs) I don't work in sports and I'm honestly not even that sporty. (laughs) And and they said, no, that's exactly why we called you. Um, So they let me know that, you know, what they were seeing in that league in particular was that teams were looking for fresh perspective. Teams were looking for people who maybe perhaps had not spent their entire career in professional sports because you know, there are blind spots that develop when you spend a long time in one particular industry. Mm -hmm. And so they actually liked and appreciated that I had a really diverse portfolio of work under my belt um, and that I was living in New Orleans. I believe they found me just by going to LinkedIn and probably like typing in, you know, certain keywords that surfaced people who were living in the area with certain skill sets that they were looking for.
0: Yeah.
1: And they said... um, the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans uh, Pelicans are looking for a VP level uh, marketing leader. Would you be interested in speaking to them? And I said, again, under my philosophy of take every meeting, take every phone call. I said, well, sure. Yeah. I'll talk to them. I don't know that this feels intuitively like a good fit for me, but I will, I will absolutely speak to them. And, um, New Orleans is a small city. It's Mm -hmm. a very, um, Insular city in many ways because people have been there, you know, for 300 years. Their families have been there for you know six, seven, eight generations. And as a you know fairly recent transplant, I figured it would be hard to break into this organization. Um, I was lucky enough where um, my husband's boss knew someone, knew some many people within the organization. And when he found out that I was potentially going to be speaking to them, he was kind enough to do the call ahead and say, hey, I know one of the people that, you know, is interested in this position that is potentially coming in, like, you know, they're good egg. At, at least give them a fair <laughs> shot, Was basically what he said, give them a fair shot, um, which I very much appreciated. And so I went in to meet with them, and um, just, I think, had instant kind of chemistry with the entire organization really felt um, that I was going to learn a lot from who my, you know, then future boss was going to be. Mm -hmm. I felt that um, I could see the impact that I would be able to have on the organization. And it just felt right. That's the only way I could describe it. And I think, you know, the, the further I got in my career, the more I learned about what made me tick as a professional and the things that energized me to get out of bed. And I think for the Saints and Pelicans, it was truly, these are incredible brands, but I can see just from, even from an outsider's vantage point, I could see the potential there and the places that we could make improvements that would drive the business. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I wanted to work there and I, and I, and I lobbied hard for the position (laughs) and I was um, lucky enough to get it. Now, working on two professional sports teams at the same time is hard. Yes. Um, but I didn't know what I didn't know. So that yeah. was kind of I was really like beautiful ignorance, because <laughs> I, I had no context for doing it any differently. And I think that really allowed me to throw myself into my work in a way that perhaps it otherwise might not have.
0: Right, right. And in, to your point, too, I mean, this is one of the most unique organizations where you can work for the two biggest you know, two of the, in the, two of the biggest leagues, you know, in our, in our nation, in our country, the NBA and the NFL at one organization, you know, so the, the experiences you get in that is so incredible. The market to, to your point in sense so of New Orleans is, is such a historic city with a great brand and, you know, sort of theme, you know, I love a city with a theme mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, such rich history there. Mm-hmm. Um, you have so mm-hmm. much opportunity to connect with the community in a way that most people can't Um, you know, in some of their markets, you know, and so this experience sounds remarkable. I I love that you took the call, as we talked about earlier, and just explored it further. And to your point, like, Mm -hmm. every time you went through the process, you know, you felt that much more connected, you listened to your gut, I'm sure you listened to your heart as well, at the same time as you were going through it. Um, And also the the network that you had, and how you tapped into it, somebody made a call ahead of, you know, ahead of your interviews, and sort of put in that great seed, so, that it probably gave you more um, magnified opportunity, you know, to somebody who was looking out for you as well. So, so many different layers into your transition. Sounds like mm-hmm. you went head first <laughs> into it <laughs> and, and very yeah. much enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really took a village. It took um, that recruiter kind of seeing past the fact that I didn't have sports on my resume, but seeing. Like I had mentioned, I'd collected this toolbox of skills that they knew if I put them together could potentially work magic in sports. It was the rigor of working on really strong Fortune 500 brands during my time at Leo Burnett. It was my experience of making small budgets stretch really far at a nonprofit and understanding the importance of building community at a nonprofit. It was understanding through my time at the Ruby Slipper Cafe, you know, the importance of, you know, driving foot traffic and driving sales and reaching new consumers and new places. And so all these things I had done looked kind of disparate on paper, but if you were able to have the foresight that this recruiter did, you could say, I could see how this person's skills would transfer to sports. So it took that person. It took my husband's boss making the phone call Mm -hmm. and it took my future boss taking a risk with me, frankly, and really (laughs) saying, I know this person hasn't worked in professional sports, but I feel they could add a lot of value to the organization and I'm willing to help them through the learning curve Mm -hmm, to do this job. So it really took all of those people, you know, going to bat for me
0: yeah no absolutely and it, it, it clearly worked out you you know you were there for almost three years with the pelicans and the saints and then you made another move in sports so you clearly like the sports industry which is great to hear <laughs> you stayed with it um, and you make another move and you join where you are today the chicago cubs um, and you were named the senior vice president of marketing for the chicago cubs so share with us now you know what excited you most about this opportunity that you took You know, how would you describe the experience of being responsible for leading the work that contributes to building onto the Cubs' historic and iconic brand?
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'll start by saying I was really happy in New Orleans. And I really loved my job um, working with the Saints and with the Pelicans. It was very fulfilling. I loved my boss. I loved my colleagues. I loved the city. It was, if I was going to leave, it was going to take a very special opportunity um, and when the Chicago Cubs called, I just did, again, I just followed my common practice of said, of course, I'll take the call. Um, and they, they had a recruiter reach out to me and I took the call and I was intrigued, but I let the imposter syndrome creep in a little bit. Mm. And I said, let, you know, I'll have the call with them, but there's no way, I'm going to get this job. This is like a global sports brand, one of the largest markets in the United States. Um, I, I, you know, but it's great that they want to talk to me. I'll <laughs> know, throw call. me in the mix, <laughs> sure. And um, so. I was delighted that I kept kind of progressing through the interview process, but at every step, I basically was like, well, I'm probably not going to make it back for the next round, but this has been really fun. And I've met some really cool people that I bet I'm going to stay in touch with and expand my network and I got to get back to New New Orleans and start, you know, preparing for the next seasons that were going to be upon us, um, but to my surprise, I continue to make it, you know, through the process, um, receive the offer and have the, the family meeting to talk about, did we want to relocate from New Orleans to Chicago and uproot our lives, mm-hmm. uproot my child's schooling, uproot my husband's career? Um, it was a really important conversation for us to have and for my husband and I to be on the same page. And honestly, for our daughter, even though she was young, you know, she yeah. was only, you um, seven but for her to feel as though she had a say in things yeah and we kind of unanimously decided let's go to Chicago (laughs) so it was it was a homecoming for my husband and I who had lived there obviously for many years before we had our daughter but our daughter had never really spent time here so it's been fun to have her experience the city for the first time but um, in terms of this opportunity I would say It is an honor to steward a brand that is closely approaching its 150th year of existence. Wow. It has deep, deep heritage, Um, but this is an exciting time for baseball. I feel like I knew in my heart when I heard about some of the changes that were going to be happening at the league level last year, that this was going to be a really fun time to join the MLB in particular because... They are really making some changes to make baseball more relevant, to make mm-hmm. it more competitive in terms of the share of mind it's getting from people, and to build the next generation of superstars. And I thought this is going to be a fun rocket ship to get on if this works out. So
0: well, it sounds like it. and and the contributions, I mean, when you when you're at one of the most iconic, you know clubs within MLB, the impact that you have in your market helps the bigger, planned, right, envisioned That's right. what it has with the changes. So the responsibility and the opportunity to be at the forefront of that change puts you in such a remarkable seat. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. sure that the experiences that you're gaining what now in your second season and what you're going to take it from here is going to be absolutely remarkable.
1: Yeah. And you raised a great point and you know this from your time in sports that, you know, sometimes the 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 large market teams or the teams that are you know financially successful have they over-index in terms of their influence on the league conversation at times. And it's really lovely that we do have the league's ear on a lot of topics and can work with them to test and try new things.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And I'll, I I look forward to seeing, and I'm sure listeners do too, just like where the Cubs go from here under your direction, especially from the brand and marketing standpoint. And, and to your point, you know, MLB is definitely turning the page and they're really thinking about that next generation. So definitely rooting for the for the MLB and all, all the teams in that space. Every episode, um, I'd love to go back to um, sort of themes from previous episodes. And so with one of the ones with you, I'm going to change it up. I usually talk about, you know, making moves in your career. But with yours, you used of change industries a couple of different times throughout your career, which is quite unique. So love for you to share from your experiences and your perspective, you know, is there an advantage or is it a challenge to break into the sports industry from another industry? And what would you suggest to someone, someone um to do if they're looking to make the same
1: shift. Mm-hmm. I was just asked this question yesterday. I was um, speaking to a group of uh, masters of sports administration students at Northwestern and many of them are already out in the workforce, but working in either sports adjacent um, industries or industries that have nothing to do with sports. And they were all like, but how do you get into sports?
0: Yeah.
1: And I said, well, gosh, I'm like, that's a really tough you know question particularly because I I didn't plan right like these kids are planning to go into (laughs) professional sports this was not uh, a career path that was on my radar and so I said what I would just advise you to do is try to build the toolbox of tools like I did While you're working in these other industries, think about what the analog for these things you're doing might be in the sports world. And I kind of gave the analogy of, I really started to understand, you know, deeply, you know, how um, successful large businesses work through my time at Leo Burnett. I started to really understand cultivating sponsorships and donors through my time at working in the arts. You know, I really learned about how to develop a visitor experience through that time. While working at Ruby Slipper, I learned how to understand EBITDA and I learned how to understand, you know, the, the financial dynamics of running a business and how footfall and check size and wait times, like all start to influence the bottom line. And so I was like, think about the work you're doing now. Think about where you can draw parallels between what a fan experience or a, uh, a sport experience might be and craft your resume with an eye towards that. Mm-hmm. And I said, and for the love of God, whatever you do, please personalize your resume for every single application you send in, not your cover letter, your actual resume. <laughs> I can clock in a second if I have received a boilerplate resume for someone from someone where they have not thought for one moment about the job description I put out into the world or how their experience ties back to that theoretical job description. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So really I just advice. keep asking people to connect the dots.
0: Yes. Yes. No, it's fan- It's, it's a very, very good point. And I love the advice that you provided, you know, to the students, and obviously now to our listeners um, as, as they both cross, you know, you, you got to figure out what's your toolbox as you take positions, I, what are you gaining? And then how is it relevant to the goal that you have to, to break into this industry? You know, I, I'm, I came up the the revenue vertical, you know, and revenue, it's Mm -hmm. like, if you didn't learn how to sell tickets or sponsorships at the early foundations of your career in sports, like it's not like selling a car or a house or any other thing that you sell, selling sports is very specific. And so it's hard Mm -hmm. to break in and harder to break in. I think when you come in from an outside industry into sports sales, let's say, um, Mm -hmm. and the revenue path, but in marketing, there's been a trend where, you know, outside voices outside experience has been more valued you know over the last so many years so you're seeing a lot more um individuals coming into the marketing space and especially you know vp svp cmo levels um from other industries you know different lenses yes. are very much valued
1: that's right i'm seeing that too
0: the next topic i love to talk about and i talk about this in every episode since the very first conversation i had in episode one was about lifestyle And so what we've done on this podcast, Jen, is we, we've sort of thrown out the term work-life balance. Um, we feel like it's not a, it's not obtainable and it's sort of this idea that doesn't quite exist. And you brought it up earlier about sort of this work-life integration, not work-life balance, Mm -hmm. which I loved how you said that. And so we've sort of shaped it like, this is a lifestyle, you know, we chose life in a way that, you know, that we wanted. And and so we structure and manage our lifestyle so it works for us and the people in our lives. So curious, mm-hmm. you know, how do you do that with your husband, your daughter? How do you make it all sort of work for you guys?
1: So I'll get the I'll get the kind of uh, depressing statement out first, and then I'll move to the more optimistic <laughs> one, which is – I'm failing a little bit every day and it just what changes is what part of my life can I fail in that day? So I always feel like I'm either failing a little bit at my job or failing a little bit at home. Um, and I just have learned to accept that, that I cannot be perfect and firing on all cylinders everywhere in my life at once. So I just embrace that. Where can I fail more today? <laughs> kind of my mantra. Um, but moving on from that, I think, you know, I'm really lucky in that my husband and I are true partners mm-hmm. and we make decisions together and we are really each other's biggest cheerleaders when it comes to our professional endeavors. So I'm really lucky that I have a partner who has my back. I realize not everyone is blessed with that. On top of that, I think something that's really important for me is to model for my daughter that it is both normal and good for her that mom has a career that she loves yeah so I try really hard to prescribe to the school of I don't complain about my job in front of my daughter I talk about how lucky I am to have such a fun exciting career that makes me happy and I don't say things like I have to go to work I say I get to go to work so I try to really model for her that it is natural and productive to have you know a mom that has a um, an important role within the company that she works for. And I also frankly bring my kid to a lot of baseball games my kid you know spent the first few years of her life going to a lot of nfl games and a lot of nba games and now that we're here she comes to a lot of baseball games because i think i think it's really important that's an easy way for her to connect the dots between what mommy does and you know her life and so bringing her to the ballpark introducing her to my colleagues having her experience like the thrill of baseball is really important to me so that she understands um, this is something that's fun and exciting and not something that she should feel like she's competing with.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I love that. And I appreciate you sharing sort of, you know, peeling back you know, the onion a little bit and sharing with us, like how you integrate with your husband and the, the shared experiences with your daughter you know, it's, it's fantastic. And you're right. Like every day, we're probably failing at something, but on the other side of it, we're probably winning in something else, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you you know, one cup might be a little emptier and the other cup might be a little fuller, which I think is, you know, in some version of balance. Um, And, and you're absolutely right. The fact that, you know, we work in the industry where, you know, our, our experiences are fun for our family. My husband mm-hmm. loves going to games. My kids love going to games yep. and being a part of those experiences. And, you know, to your point, modeling sort of this, you know, expectation that uh, that you love and have a passion for what you do. You're not, you know, you, you're so lucky to be able to to work in the industry that you work in, to do the things that you do and, and work with the people you get to work with and to show and share that is, is so powerful, especially for a young child to see that in their parents. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Now to close things up, um, I always like to end things with a little bit of advice. So we'd love for you to share, you know, what advice would you leave for our listeners based on your experience and accomplishments to grow their careers?
1: Wow. That's broad. (laughs) Um, (laughs) purposely
0: broad, my friend. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, um, the thing that I just encourage people to do is when you are, considering a new job opportunity. Set aside the organization, the title, the income, those things are important and they will certainly be negotiated as you move through the process. But really think about, can you can you envision the impact that your particular toolbox of skills is going to let you have on this organization? Do you see the space in which you are going to be able to come in and make a difference. If you can, that is an opportunity worth pursuing. If you can't, maybe not. And to that end, I would say start to do some self-reflection and really understand the environments and situations in which you thrive and that you feel personally fulfilled. Like for me, I've learned that I'm a builder. I like to come in and make new things for lack of a better word. (laughs) And if I (laughs) am in a role where I don't see that space or I don't envision that opportunity, I know I'm going to get bored, but some people are like, I like to just keep the trains moving. I don't need to make up anything new. I just need to be able to like work efficiently and, you know, make sure the train leaves the station on time. And that's when I'm happiest. There's nothing wrong with that but start to really reflect on what makes you tick and in what sorts, of, what sorts of projects or environments or opportunities have made you happiest and most fulfilled. And then see if your new, next opportunity lines up with that.
0: That's incredible advice. Great perspective, incredible insight. Thank you so much, Jen, for, for taking time out of your day to join us on this podcast and being a guest with me in this incredible conversation.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Dee. It's been a pleasure.
0: And that's a wrap on episode 64. Thank you to Jen for sharing her remarkable journey and insights with all of us today. And as a thank you to Jen, our friends at the Pro Sports Assembly will provide her with a one-year membership for her to join Pro. Pro Sports Assembly is an industry member-led association helping events equity in pro sports. I want to thank Pro for their incredible support and believing in the mission of this podcast. And I encourage you to visit prosportsassembly.org to learn more about how to become a member. Now, to stay connected and to engage with the Women Blazers community, follow us on Instagram at Women Blazers. And be sure to check out the next episode dropping Monday, May 22nd, featuring Alyssa Lipman, Vice President, Head of Culture and Business Operations for the NFL. Until next time, have a wonderful, wonderful week.